0: So I get these standalone sermons where basically uh, you're not following a theme or you're not really in a category. And so I always pray, uh, you know, God, what do you want me to do in this? What's on your heart? And so you get just these single topics, which are kind of fun because, you know, you just get to handle just one idea. And I think sometimes it's a little easier to to even just remember just this one solid idea. And so I do want to encourage you in this, take notes, you know, remember things, you know, I, I think whether you have a smartphone or you're writing things down on paper, We all know that when you're writing or when you're making notes about things that you're hearing, you retain better. You keep it better. And so I believe when the scripture says that you're not just to be a hearer of the word, you're to be a doer. I think it happens like this. Sometimes you'll hear something in your life and then all of a sudden, days later, somebody gets put in your path and you share what you heard just days ago. Have you ever had that happen? And the reason that that is, is because that's how it's called to work. You hear it and then you do something with it. You share it with somebody else. You encourage somebody else with that. And so one way that you can better retain and be a better doer of hearing is when you just write things, when you keep track of stuff, when you just pay attention to it. And so I encourage you to do that. As we start off, you know, talking about this, um, it's a church topic. Uh, it, it's really a word that you really, you know, too often don't use outside of church. And uh, it's the idea or the topic of sin. Uh, We're going to just spend the next few minutes talking about sin. Uh, Sin is such a truth or a fundamental base of Christianity. I mean, you can't say, oh, I want to live for God or I want God's best in my life. If you don't have an understanding or information about what God calls sin or what sin is and what the effects of sin are. Uh, unfortunately, the church has done a terrible job talking about sin in the way that we've talked about it. Uh, for many years, it was told you were told you're a sinner. Like you as a person are just made up of sin. You're sin, you're a sinner. And so we even saw a Saturday Night Live skits where it's like, mm, sinner and Satan and you know all that. And, and, and it was just talked about terribly. And I, and I hope today that we unravel a different way to look at it, which is a little more positive uh, of the effects of sin. But the truth is, sin is a big deal. It's something we should be very, very conscious of. And, uh, and I'll get into it here in a minute. And the reason why it's a big deal now is because in culture, uh, we glorify sin. You know, if you take a look around and you listen to lyrics or you read articles or you listen to how people talk uh, about each other, especially on the internet and things, sin is glorified. You know, at many times it's almost an accomplishment if you live out a lifestyle of sin or you have all of these things, but sin is is damaging, it's destructive. We're going to look at it here in a minute. Uh, I had a hard time this week. I read an article uh, about the passing of Chris Cornell, uh, who's the grunge singer, of a couple different bands. But, um, many of you that don't know, uh, he just passed away of, uh, I should still say alleged suicide, um, after a rock show or grunge show, I guess we should keep it correct in its genre, uh, in Detroit. And, uh, found him in his hotel room after the show. And I was reading articles about it, uh, because what was interesting about it was, uh, in my opinion and many others. Uh, it was intentional. He sort of played his last set. He spoke of death and how to think of him after he's gone. And, and I'm reading these articles and literally one of the articles said uh, this guy, you know, Chris, Chris uh, dies in a legendary suicide. They glorified the way that this guy took his life and ended his life. And for me, I struggle. He has two kids. He has family. He has all these you know, effects of it. Uh, he's not a rock star, grunge star character who just got taken out of a movie. He's a human who lost his life and it affects a lot of people, right? And so the comments underneath it were like all these ways of like how these rock stars lived their rock life and died their rock way and all these suicides and overdoses. And you can put him in this legendary category of this. De- they glorified the destruction of sin and and death and darkness. Are you with me? And it's sad because the thing about sin is it's not the way you're created to live. Uh, I believe that God designed us. I believe that he created us and put us here and and gave us, as we see in Genesis, Genesis, the Garden of Eden. So the very beginning, it's like God created you. He loves you. He wanted to be with you. He created in Genesis the Garden for you. And it was perfect. The scripture calls it paradise. We were with God. It was the best way to live. Does that make sense? And then sin entered in and took away from that. And so anytime sin enters in, in our life, you begin to downgrade the quality of living that you're experiencing. Are you with me? And so same thing in our life. When we glorify sin and we celebrate sin, it's so opposite of the way God created us because our best kind of life is in God, the way that he created us to. And when sin comes in, you downgrade your lives. You know, people don't sign up for downgrades, right? Right. Like, oh, I can't wait to stand in line and get downgraded. But isn't it interesting we celebrate the downgrade of sin? Like, oh, yeah, he's he's crazy. That guy, he's crazy. Billy, my buddy Billy, he just so much. You wouldn't say it like this. He just does so much sinning, crazy Billy. But we do. We glorify crazy guy over here. He's just so crazy. He's got some stories of downgrading his life and not living the way God created him to, right? And missing out on all that God had for him we got those stories, amen? So people say this to me all the time. They say, man, I don't know about Christianity. It's got all those rules. It's got, you know, it's, it's no fun. You can't enjoy yourself. You can't express yourself. You can't, all this kind of stuff. And it's like, express what? The downgrade from the way God created you to live? He's your, if the person who created this microphone, you were to sit down with them, they would tell you the, 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 the way to get the most out of this. The best way this microphone could live or operate comes from the creator. It's the same thing with God. God created us. He loves us. He knows how we were built and wired. So the best way to know how to live is to look at what the Bible, what God says we should live. Does that make sense? So people always say, oh, all these rules and Christianity, and it's no fun, and God's not loving, and he's restrictive, and he holds you down, and all these rules. But that's not the case. Literally, he sticks Adam and Eve in paradise, and he says, I made this for you because I love you, because I want you the fullest, in the fullest kind of life. I want you to enjoy all of it. Because I love you, and I want your best kind of life, And then he says this, "Oh, but that tree, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, he says, don't be a part of that. Don't participate in that. Don't eat of that, because when you do, you will surely die, or you will begin your destruction, because it's sin and it's not meant to be a part of your life. Now, the example is like this, you've heard me say this before. If I were to have you over in my house and I were to say, "Hey, uh, would your house sit for me? The refrigerator is full of all your favorite things <coughs> I've had you in mind. I know what you like, all your favorite snacks, the pantry, everything. You're good to go. It's going to be the best. You're going to enjoy this paradise that I've made for you, my house. <laughs> and uh, But I've made it all for you. You're going to love it. You're going to enjoy it. Oh, but one thing. In the refrigerator, there is some poison. There is some cyanide. Whatever you do, just don't drink that. You can have everything else. Enjoy everything else that's made perfect for you, but just stay away from that. Am I being unloving? No. Am I being restricting? Am I trying to hold back from fun? No, I've created everything perfect for you to enjoy and to everything that you need. But hey, stay away from that because if you get into that, that's gonna hurt you. And I love you and I don't want you to be a part of that because God designed it, he knows what's best in it. So he's saying, do it this way, this is the best way to do it. If you get into things that way, it's gonna hurt you. So sex outside of marriage and greed and unforgiveness all these things that aren't God's way, when we start to do them that way, it's saying, hey, oh, you're, you're, you're getting into that. Dis- do it this way. This is the better way. Inside of marriage, in- this is the better way to do it. When you do it that way, downgrade, destruction, death. Does that make sense? I love this about God. Uh, not only did he create perfection, he created the Eden, Garden of Eden. He created all this paradise. He said, hey, this is this. But then when we messed it up, he said, I got you. I'm going to send my son, Jesus. He's going to come back and he's going to restore it. And he's going to show you the best way to live. So I'm going to send my perfect son to die for your sins. You're going to have forgiveness of sins. And then along the way, he's going to teach you how to live the best kind of life. And that's what Jesus did. He didn't come to tell us how wrong we were and preach all these rules at us. He came and said, look, I've come to give you life and give it to you better. And here's how you live it out. And so his teachings would be things like this. He would say, hey, don't live that way. Instead, live like this because it's better. It's better. It's the better way to do it. Does that make sense? So I'm going to look at a couple of them in John 10, 10, the Amplified Version. It says this, the thief, if you'll let me say it, the devil, the enemy, Satan, Hasatan, the accuser, whatever you want to say, comes in order to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that you may have and enjoy life and have it in abundance to the full till it overflows. God's design is always to give you the best. Whatever he calls us into, the reward of it is your best. Amen. The New Living Translation says, The thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Your best kind of life, your rich and satisfying kind of life, is in the ways of God. Amen. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I love this message version of that. Listen to this. This is Romans six twenty three in the message version. It says, but now that you've found, you don't have to listen to sin tell you what to do. Because sin does, the pressure of sin, the pressure of the world, it barks at us at how we should live and what we should do. And it's saying, look, now that you've been found in Christ, now that you know God, now that you have freedom in him, it's saying you found that you don't have to listen to sin to tell you what to do. And you've discovered the delight of listening to God telling you, what a surprise. A whole, healed, put together life right now with more and more life on the way. Work hard for sin your whole life and your pension is death but God's gift is real life, eternal life delivered by Jesus, our master. Like, hey, if you want to live a life of sin, if you want to work hard at sin, that's your call, but your pension is death. There's no reward in that. There's destruction in that. But instead, if you're a person who lives for the ways of God, the things of God, there's reward in your life now and in your life to come. Amen. Because sin does what? Sin ruins your life now. We don't glorify sin. We don't exalt sin. We don't lift up sin. We don't patty cake sin. Why? Because it's a downgrade. It's hurting you. Are you with me? Uh, My mentor taught me this really cool thing. Uh, He said, here's how you should live your life every day you wake up. He said, imagine either two buckets or two barrels. And every time you wake up on this side, you have a barrel or a bucket, whatever your analogy would be. And in this is right standing with God or the word we use, righteousness, righteousness righteousness in God, God kind of living. Uh, it means right standing with God, meaning you're, you're walking with God, you're, you're living God's ways. So right standing. And this is the best kind of life. I mean, this is a hundred percent. This is full speed. This is, you know, no, resi- this is what you want to live. This is the best kind of life. And so you wake up in the morning and all your energies, all your passions, all your desires, you fill this bucket to hundred percent full. You keep this full because it's the best way to live. It's God kind of living. Over here is another barrel, and you wake up in the morning, and this is sin, and this is destruction, and this is death, and this is selfishness, and our own kind of living, and and this is the enemy, this is destruction, and you wake up in the morning, and you decide I'm either going to put all my passions and energies in this barrel, and live the God kind of life, or I'm going to downgrade myself, and I'm going to waste some of it in this barrel, and so none of us would say, well, you know, I just, you know, my goal in life is to really live just like a 40% life. If, you know, if I could just, you know, no, we all lay awake at night dreaming of greatness and all that God has for us and all that. Because why? Because we want this barrel full. But when we say, I'm going to, I'm going to compromise a little. I'm going to look at that thing on the internet, or I'm going to look at that person in a certain way, or we take a little of this and we go over here and we waste it in this barrel because sin gets us nowhere and it downgrades us and it destroys what God has for us. Are you with me? And so our energy has got to be purity and righteousness and putting everything in the way that God created us to live. I love John Wesley. Uh, His mom says this statement, says, sin is anything that decreases your passion for God. Sin in your life is simply anything that decreases your passion for God. So anything that would cause you to take from here and walk it over to here is sin. What is it that's holding you from filling this barrel to full? That's all your passions in on God, all your time, all your desire, all your energies. What's the thing that causes you to dip and move it into anywhere from here? Whatever that thing is, is sin. Because it's taking away from your best kind of life, your 100% kind of living. Does that make sense? sin I love this thought sin is temporary insanity none of us are like oh I just want to go out there and mess it up oh I just love to go out there and destroy my marriage or destroy my family or ruin my bank account or do this kind of thing and destroy my nobody would do that but we have these moments of insanity where we let sin be the leader and we take from here and we go to here because it's temporary moments of insanity because God created you to worship him and be with him and be for him, are, are, are you, right? So it's moments of insanity. Sin is disobedience to your knower. Some people call it your conscious conscience. I believe that, that we have the Holy Spirit who's our helper. And so when we're disobedient to that knower or to your, your Holy Spirit, Uh, I believe it's ignoring the screaming voice of the Holy Spirit. You know you're going to make a bad decision. You know you're going to make a bad choice. You know that that thing is destroying you. And yet you choose to just ignore that thing that's screaming on the inside of you to not do it. We've all been there, right? It's called this idea, and we see it in culture, of calling evil good and good evil. Uh, When we live such a life of sin, we've convinced ourselves what's evil is good, and what's good is evil. Uh, Isaiah chapter 5 verse 20 gives a really strong explanation and warning about this. It says, woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Now, the thing here is not like this, like, like, to like a horse, like whoa, horsey, be careful. You know, you gotta. Well, the meaning here in the scripture is like, woe to you, like I'm really concerned, like in all that's within me, like woe to you, you're messing this thing up, and it's going to be bad if you keep living a way that you call evil, good, and good evil. Like really, really, woe to you. You're resisting the things that God called you to and the way that he's called you to live and all these kinds of things. And you're justifying living over here compromised and living over here this way. Like really, woe to you. I have great concern for you. Are you with me? Because it's not gonna end well. Because we aren't called to be downgraded and to live in the sin it takes away from our quality of life. Sin causes you to be someone you don't wanna be. That's the hard part about Sin. As we join into something because we think it's gonna be enjoyable or we think it's gonna give us the life that we want and it's gonna gain us the result that we think it's gonna get. And so we join that sin and then you look back on it and you're like, this isn't who I wanted to be. This is what I, what I signed up for because sin comes from the enemy who's a deceiver, amen? Sin will never net you what you think it's going to. Sin puts you on a road you don't wanna travel. We've all been there oh, it looks great. This is a fun exit. Let's try this one. And then you get going down the road and you're like, this is not, this is not what I wanted. This is not what I'm traveling for. This is not the road I want to go. This is so true. Sin's pain is delayed. Sin's pain is delayed. It'd be easier if you made a decision to sin and immediately you saw just, oh, this is not, but sin's pain is delayed. It lets you start in it and it lets you think everything's fine and justifiable and you're free and you're enjoying it and it's good and all this kind of, and then all of a sudden it's pain will hit you one day because it's pain is delayed. You can keep making excuses and you can even convince other people in your life that you're doing the right thing. But the pain of sin, the scripture says the wages of sin is death. Like it's going to catch you. Are you with me? And the one thing I really want to point out, if I can give you any tips or give you any advice, not that I've arrived, I haven't made it perfect every day, I'm trying to make sure this barrel gets all my energies and all my efforts and all my thinking and all my passion. But the one thing I have kind of learned and discovered is that winning the sin battle only comes when we understand that it's a fight in our mind. You know, sin can't just walk up to you. I don't know that a needle or a bottle or anything is just like floated out of the sky and just, right? There's some thinking that has to happen. There's some actions that have to take place in order to get yourself in position to make a sinful decision. Are you with me? And so much of our battle in sin is not because it's a thing that can just walk up on you. It's a thing that you've thought on. It's a thing that you've premeditated. It's a thing that you've put yourself in position for starting in your mind. Do you know when Jesus went to the cross of Calvary? uh, Do you know that was on the hill Golgotha, which is called the place of a skull, so when he defeated everything for us, you could almost say that that was a symbol of winning the battle in our mind. When he set you free, when he, everything that he did and he provided, he literally did it on a our, on, on our head. Like, hey, you can do this. You can win in your mind. You can overcome this thing. I thought about it like this. Many of us, when it comes to sin, we start having these conversations in our mind that we let the enemy, because remember, Satan's name is Hasatan, which is the accuser. So he comes in your mind and he's saying these things like, you know, you're really missing out. You know, every, you know why are you such a, a tight, straight, you know, Christian? Why are you trying to keep the, of the Bible, this old book? And why are you trying to, and he starts accusing, he starts saying things, he starts putting things in your mind. Loosen up a little, have a little fun. Don't you know you're missing out? I think the biggest one that he sells us all is, uh, is this one. It's acceptable. Nowadays, it's acceptable. Hey, it's fine. Everybody else is doing it. You know, culture has progressed. We need to be more open-minded. It's acceptable now. Are you with me? It's funny, we all fall for that as little kids. I mean, little kids, it's like, you say, well, everybody else is doing it, and we just grow up into more grown-up versions of that. Well, everybody else is doing it. Let's just call it legal. It's just fine. Let's just do it. And we call these sins acceptable. Why? Because in our minds, we've let ourselves be convinced that it's not sin. So we got to win the battles in our mind. I thought about Adam and Eve. They're standing here looking at this tree, and what did they start doing? They probably started having thoughts. I wonder what it tastes like. I wonder what it would be like if I got to participate in that. I wonder what it would be like if that was a part of my life. I wonder what it would be like if I got some of that, if I got to enjoy that. I wonder if I got to be that. And that's how sin works in our life. We see it and we say, oh, I wonder what it would be like if that I wonder what it would be like if I got a little bit more of that in my life and a little bit more of that. And I wonder if I could handle that. And I wonder what that would do for me if I could just do that a little bit more. And it's destructive and you eat of a poison that downgrades you, amen? So the scripture tells us that we have to take all these thoughts captive. If it's a thought in our mind, we gotta catch it before it becomes an action. 2 Corinthians 10.5 in the Amplified Version says, we are destroying sophisticated arguments And every exalted and proud thing that sets itself up against the true knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought and purpose captive to the obedience of Christ. It's saying, look, there's some sophisticated arguments out there that are going to try to convince you what is evil is good. And it's saying, don't buy into that. It doesn't hold up to the true knowledge of God find the true knowledge of God, and dismiss the sophisticated arguments of evil. Amen? I love this idea of taking something captive. In war, you would capture somebody because it would disarm them, right? Uh, Before they were a threat, before it had potential, before it could have been a thing, but once you have it captive, it's disarmed, so it's the same thing in our thought life. I love that it says take it captive because if you let it stay alive, if you let it be a thought, it has the potential to be something. It has the potential to become something. It has the potential to damage you. But if you grab that thought and you hold it captive, you've disarmed it from having effect on your life. Does that make sense? So he's saying catch that thing, disable it. Why? Because if you let it keep going, it's going to do something for you. Uh, it has, you have to take great measure in resisting sin. Matthew chapter 8, verse 8 says this, if your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. It is better for you to enter into eternal life, lame or maimed, rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast into everlasting fire. I, I, I sometimes wonder in these teachings, like, was this like later in the day where they're really sick of explaining things and uh, it's just like, oh gosh, they're asking again. Listen, if it's causing you a thing, cut your hand off. It's just better to go to heaven than not have hands, you know, like, or whatever. You know, I just love how these lay out. But he's saying this and, he, and, and reiterates it in verse nine. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. It is better for you to enter essentially heaven with one eye than having two eyes and to go to hell. It's saying literally like take great measures to make sure whatever is in your life is not causing you to miss heaven. I'm telling you, take great measure to cast away whatever might potentially cause you to miss putting everything in this barrel. You may have friends that that used to, you could hang out with, they used to be able, but now they're a hindrance. They're causing you to take things from here to here, cast some things from your life that are hindering you because it's not worth enjoying a few people, enjoying a few things, enjoying, if, if it's gonna cost you heaven, if it's gonna cost you your best kind of life. I'm not telling everybody like, go, (laughs) we should go home and fire our friends and tell them that they're downgrading your life. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is if something in your life is costing you, if it's, if it's causing you to not be able to handle what you need to be able to fill this, then you have to make an extreme change is what the writer is saying, because it'll cost you heaven. Uh, I thought about this, um, The scripture says that I have hidden the word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. So what happens is when we have the Bible, when we have God's word, when we have scripture so full on the inside of us, what it allows us to do is when we're tempted to take something from this barrel and compromise it and bring it over to here, in the middle is the word that you've hidden in your heart. And so you're not going to get through it because you're going to go, I'm going to compromise. I'm going to take it from here. And all of a sudden, these scriptures are going to pop up in the middle. And it's going to remind you that this isn't the best way to live. This is the best way to live. And you're going to go, just kidding, and put it back. Because the word has been hidden in your heart, and it's going to cause you to stop sinning against him. Amen? And so we have to have that mechanism on the inside of us. I thought about it like this. Uh, Much of my effort is not, we don't do this because it's bad. We do this because it's so much better. And so it's not like, oh, the devil's going to get us because he has no like, authority to just jump on you and defeat you. Anytime the enemy does a work or a downgrade or a destruction in your life, it's because you've given him an opportunity to do it. Now, he's always on the prowl. He's always on the attack. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But you have to give him permission. There's no authority of where he can just jump you. And so you have to give him permission. So we don't need to spend so much energy being like, oh he's going to get us. He's going to get us. we got to watch out. He's going to get us. And so, oh, no sin, because the devil might get us. Our conversation should be, no sin, because this is just so much better. All these things of the world that we think are satisfying us and where we need to be in life and all these kinds of things that we make excuses and justification, none of it is as good and satisfying as right standing in righteousness with God. Amen? So it's not this whole, like, we got to avoid, we got to avoid. How about we just spend more energy on this because it's better? So for me, it's like, oh, and for you and for others, it's like, hey, I'm not going to gossip and I'm not going to talk negative and I'm not going to tear people down. Why? Because it's better to talk them up. And I'm not going to cheat and I'm not going to lie and I'm not going to destroy because it's better to have integrity because God honors that. And I'm not going to look at other women and I'm not going to look at other things online and I'm not going to do this. Why? Because it's better to spend my energy building up my marriage. My mentor said that to me. Hey, hey, uh, I wasn't married. You want to have a great sex life, right? Yeah, of course. Like, who doesn't, right? (laughs) Not like aiming for a 50%. Like, I want to have a great one. Yeah, great. Okay. So just remember the buckets. Anytime you compromise, if if you're godly, holy, righteous, pure marriage, and you're filling this bucket full of great marriage and great sex and all that God has blessed you in your marriage, because all that's a blessing. Amen, fellas? Okay. So all... (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Uh, and so this is it, and it's perfect, so when you're tempted to go look at something, when you're tempted to go, and you want to take from here, and you want to go dump it in there, just remember you're downgrading, just remember you're taking away from what could be the best, so I don't, I don't say, oh, I got to resist, I got to, got to run, I don't want to, I don't want to, because I want this to be the best, and pleasing to God, and honoring to my wife, and to my marriage, amen, because we got to keep this full and 100% and blessed and ordained by God. Are you with me? Because it, and it's scripture that helps us sin, not against God. Uh, Romans uh, 12, 1-2 says this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. It's worship unto God when we construct and live in our lives in a way that we're honoring him and filling this bucket on a daily basis, right? That's our act of worship. We're presenting our bodies holy and righteous unto God. Verse two, do not conform any longer to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Again, talking about your mind. You gotta get rid of those thoughts. And then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing perfect will. It's when we renew our mind. It's when we stay full of the word that we're able to say, hey, this is sin and this is God and I'm staying with what God has for me. Amen? And I just want to encourage you, you know, righteousness is work. Resisting sin is work. It takes effort. It takes strategy. It takes understanding of like, hey, I'm not going down this road. I'm not participating. I'm not letting myself compromise and water down. That all takes work, but it's worth it because it's the best kind of living. Uh, I mean, think about literally like uh, I get nervous in our garage because I let our little guys play with different things. And uh, there was a day that I was filling up my lawnmower and my little guy, Charlie, who's two, and he was playing in the rocks and doing different things. And, um, and I saw him, he was over by the gas thing and he wasn't like in the gas, you're all, you're all about to like judge me and that's fine. But he was over by the gas thing and he was playing with rocks and grass and weeds and different things. And, and I just remember thinking like, oh man, like I don't know if he put something in my gas tank now in this lawnmower, you know what I mean? Like, and you have this like, just this gut of like, oh my God. Or like could imagine if somebody went to put the wrong kind of something in your really nice car, you would just have this freak out. We need to pray and ask God to give us a freak out when sin might be getting in the thing that it shouldn't be getting in, which is our, who we are, our walk with him. Like, ah, these two things can't mix. And is there potential that if I get in this situation that it might mix? God, no, because I don't wanna miss this. Does that make sense? So righteousness is work and we're stupid like fish. That was like my point on the bottom down there. I don't even know what it means anymore. Actually, I think I just remembered. My notes are interesting because they're not all typed out. They're just headlines that re- remind me of a thought. And that said, we're stupid like fish. <laughs> so I guess take that to the Lord and decide what that means for you. <laughs> what it means is this. God created everything and called it good. Everything's good. Everything I've made for you is good. You have everything you need to be satisfied in him, in the way that he created you to. Satan can't create. He can't come along and be like, look. I've made this up. It's awesome. And you'd be like, I want some of that. That's awesome because he's not a creator. God is. And so he can only steal or change or manipulate what God made and called awesome. And so what I'm saying is anytime you take the bait from the enemy, it's really like a fishing lure that you fell for. Oh, it it looks good. It looks like it could work out for me. It looks like it could be. And then you get on and you find all the pain of the sin. And you find and you need the word and you need church regularly and you need people in your life regularly that are going to say, from my angle, I can see the line and the hook and the devil in the boat. I can see it all. You're about to bite onto the wrong thing because you're a stupid fish. Amen. Best amen of the day. You're a stupid fish. Amen. 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 I love Bo so much. I love him. All right. I'm with you. So, so True. We we get just so tricked and deceived by what we think looks like it's right and justifiable and we should bite on it and it's not. And so we need the word in church and pastors and bow amen in and to keep us there. Amen? amen? I'll close with this. First Peter 5, 8 through 9. We all know this. It says, be self-controlled and alert. Those are two hard things in this culture. Be self-controlled and alert. Because our culture's saying to you, everything's good. You don't need self-control. Do what you feel. There's no absolute truth. Do what you feel. But it says, hey, be self-controlled. Meaning, have an understanding that there's a barrel here and a barrel here and have some self-control when you wake up in the day and control your life in a way that you make sure you're walking toward what you wanna walk toward. Amen. Be self-controlled, have some self-control. And then it says, and be alert. Be alert in this culture, in this are you kidding me? I'm just, I'm just happy to make it home because there's so much and the pace and the crazy and all that's going on. You're talking about be alert? Yeah, be self-controlled and alert. And it says, because your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. It doesn't say scare. It doesn't say, hey, be careful, there's an enemy out there. He's gonna say boo. Like, no, he's gonna kill you and destroy your family and your marriage and your kids. There's no rules for him. He wants you taken out and destroyed and your kids and generations after them. Are you with me? It's serious. Be alert and self-control because there's a lot at stake. You can't have a season off of God and do what you want and play. No, you need to be alert because he's coming to kill you, devour you, not scratch you, kill you. Resist him standing firm in the faith. How do you resist him? You better find a way to be firm in God. You better, you better make your priorities about him and not the stuff you're acquiring and the house that you're building and the job that you have and the people that you know. Don't stand firm in any of that stuff. Find a solid freaking foundation in God because that's the only way you're gonna resist the attack of the enemy. But I know We all got stuff and we're busy. Be alert, be self-controlled and stand firm in faith or you will be devoured. Hashtag love wins, amen. (laughs) And the thing is, and my last thought, is we, the reason we don't is because we we find a way out and the way out, so I'm not gonna be on guard. I'm not gonna be alert. I'm not gonna be any of these things. Because I have somebody to blame why I don't have to be that way. So I'll say it again. The reason we, is because we found our out, which is blaming somebody else. I'm not gonna stand firm, I'm not gonna be on guard, I'm not gonna be alert, I'm not gonna be self-controlled because they did this, or this person did this, and it did this, and now I'm upset, and now I'm this, and now this person didn't do this thing, so therefore I have my out. What are you doing? You're doing the first thing Adam and Eve did, Adam did. He sinned and he said, it's the woman you gave me, it's your fault, it's her fault. It's that fault, it's this fault, it's that fault. No, it's our own fault because God called us to be self-controlled and alert and standing firm in the faith or else we'll be devoured. This is what's awesome about God is if you go to God right now and you say, God, I haven't been filling the right bucket. I've put some stuff over here. Scripture says, if we confess our sins, he's so faithful and just to forgive us of them that he's like, you know what, I'll help you. Let's tip that barrel over. Let's go over here. I'll help you. You know, I'll walk with you as we fill. Because God doesn't hold it. I can't believe that you filled that barrel. Oh, you're the... No, God's like, hey, I got you. I'm with you. Your faith. So I'm just saying to you, this week, as you go home, as whatever, just go to God and say, God, I, I don't want to downgrade my life anymore. I don't want to make decisions that are taken away from my best kind of living. Help me see the areas, because we all have blind spots. Help me see the areas that, like, I'm, I'm just not putting it all here. And I believe that God's gonna help you and give you the boldness to stand firm so that we can be here, amen?